You're listening to The Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next half hour or so we're going to be talking all things food and drink and I'm joined, we've got the whole, we've got the whole team here today. I'm joined by my fellow presenter Ollie Lloyd, founder of Great British Chefs, who's just run from Euston Station. You all Hi. right? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. You're okay. You can manage. Excellent. And um, Holly Shackleton, editor of Speciality Food magazine. Hello. You've had a really busy couple of weeks, haven't you? You've I been have. doing nothing but eating out. Yes. Yeah. Smooth, you know, Quite seeing been, people. It's been really hard. Have yeah. you? Yeah. yeah. Poor you me. told me you had two dinners yesterday. Well, it's my boyfriend's <laughs> birthday. Oh, okay. And, then. yeah. And that's my excuse. Yeah, that, that's that's good. Um, we're joined by Andrew Morgan, who's been a guest on this show before, from Beer Hawk Fresh. Hi, Andrew. Hello, Sue. Hello, have you hello. brought beer with you? I have a nice bag of beer with me. Yeah. There you mm. go. See, Ollie, because oh, you yeah. because you're exhausted from running. It's perfect. That's just absolutely right. And um, Nick Russell from the Wasabi Company. Hi, hey. Nick. How are you going? We're, we're very interested in in um, learning everything there is to learn about wasabi. I'll tell you what I can. Yeah. yeah, very, very good. So let's start off with Andrew. Now, Andrew, I know that you are head of beer. Yeah, apparently head, so. Head of beer at Beer Hawk Fresh. So what does head of beer mean? I'd love a business card. That's yeah, that. it, it's one of those ones that you do sort of just say, um, yeah, this is what I do, and people look at you with envy. Um, uh, but um, beer, yeah, drinking, um, brewers, um, everything to do with beer, really. Good, you know, only only, only good beer, though. And you're really a champion of craft beer, I seem to remember. Yeah, yeah. Well made, beautifully crafted beer. Yeah, I mean not not all beers are created equally. Um and I think for the majority that are out there there are there are you know, there's a sort of more commercial side of, of, of beer. I personally love the you know, the, the, the real um integrity and, and belief of, of the the producers, which again you can see in other products, but with beer often hard, you know, you stick it in a glass, it looks the same colour, um, looks roughly the same, but it's not necessarily um the same product, really. And I know that um, Beerhawk Fresh probably have about a thousand beers, uh, so you can go onto the website. It's got an amazing array of beers, and what I quite like is um, there's obviously some sort of machine learning stuff going on there, where, where gradually as you order more and you do stuff, it starts to it starts to sort of look at your profile and then starts, you know, sort of um, suggesting stuff, which is great. Yeah, like I mean Spotify Beer- or, or, or Amazon or something. Yeah, yeah Beerhawk. Um, are the I think they're the, the the largest sort of beer retailer um, in the UK and they've got and it's amazing tech behind them to 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 help customers with their journey and then the the beer hawk fresh side is is the kind of B two B side so we're we deal with kegs and cases and and beer hawk themselves are all about individual bottles and cans but uh, yeah we're we're all the same family and um, yeah it's all it's all about good beer yeah now in my fridge um, I I have bottles of beer because some. Some of the people I know, which obviously I'm a little bit older uh, um, than most people, they they just don't believe that beer should be in a can, um, and they just think it's a bit down market. But things have really changed. That's just not the case anymore, is it? Yeah, it's been a massive, massive change. I mean, certainly growing up, uh, the idea of canned beer was was a really, um, you know, it was it was just nasty. You get those, the, the, anyone who remembers the old ring pool that came off um, before uh, the the innovation that was. The ring pool that didn't come off. Um, I mean, that beer just generally tasted, uh, 
just a bit oxidized you know the, the it's all to do with the amount of oxygen that, that's within in the bottle or the can so if there's any oxygen left in there it'll um it'll make the beer go bad and it'll also oxidize the metal and you get that horrible metally sort of taste, yeah. taste that's that's really bad uh generally bottles didn't have that they could fill um fill them easier uh and yeah they they, they were a superior product but Technology's kind of changed, so you now get um, double-walled cans. So the can on the outside, the metal is to protect from heat, the inside to protect the product. And there's actually like a little cavity wall that, that is brilliant for protecting beer because the two things that beer hate are light and heat. So if you think of a can, it's, it's got, and there's no light getting in. Um, and then that's, that sort of double-wall technology is, is great. Um, so would you say now that cans in general are, are better than a bottle i mean in terms of branding and and imagery you can you can really go to town on a can can't you it's, it's sort of great cover as opposed to a bottle but you know is is it better to buy in a can now do you think i, I think if you i mean there's there's no there's no firm rule um you know for a long time a canning line costs a lot of money I mean, you're looking at upwards of three hundred thousand pounds to get a canning line wow. so for a brewery that's an awfully big investment so there's there's mobile canners um, who bring their equipment in and, and will um, can for you. Uh, they they started off pretty ropey. Um, um, we had exploding <laughs> cans back in the day uh, due to um, faults with with the the canning process or the beer. Uh, but today it's it's much much better. And generally, the you know if you see a, a quality product in a can, then it will it will hold up. Bottles. Yeah, they're, they're, they're absolutely on the decline. They're heavier, um, heavier to transport. Uh, you can't get as many on the shelf. You can keep cans colder for longer as well, can't you? Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. A bit more convenient. Now, Nick Russell has, has travelled all the way, haven't you, from sort of... Deepest, darkest Dorset. Dorset. Yeah. He's a little bit thirsty. Now, I believe you've brought some stuff with you. I have indeed. And also, also Ollie's run here. Yeah, I've got so, a little, so, little you know, bag of fun so, next so, to what, me. so what have you got? So we've got, we've got three beers from um, that, we, that we have at um, Beer Hall Fresh. Uh, first is uh, peanut butter milk stout. Right. <laughs> oh, peanut butter Breakfast. milk stout. Yeah, it's really okay. good. Um, is from, it? from the Belching Beaver Brewery in um, California. Um, it sounds like they just got some words and just put them together. Put them together. Yeah. All, all, all the, the best, best words. words. All the best words. <laughs> oh, it's meant to be. There we go. Uh, it's pretty phenomenal. Um, this this thing this this beer is okay. an absolute revelation in the states. It's a. Uh, and we, we managed to get a, um, a pretty regular supply of it. But, uh, yeah, it once, once you try... Yeah. Milk stout. Okay, so explain to me what stout is as opposed to a sort of a bitter. So... Is it a thing? Yeah, oh, my so, God. So stout, I'm just pouring this. It looks like Guinness. It's black. So anything? stout generally uh, is going to be used some dark malts, so you're going to get uh, a dark colour. That's that's almost a, a guarantee. Though you can get white stouts, which do um, sort of disprove that that theory. Um, but... So you've got a really dark malt character. You've got the the milk uh, side, which means it's got some lactose in it, so it's going to have a nice creamy texture. And then um, the peanut butter uh, is um, uh, a, a trade secret as to how they managed to get it in there. But um, <laughs> it's 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 a kind of beer that really uh, there's a lot of people who absolutely love this beer. That's that. Okay, what so I'm smelling it. it. The smell, the the smell, smell is amazing. Laugh. I haven't even tasted it. But the smell does make me laugh because it's like it's so <laughs> I can't figure it out. But it's so not but so. It is and sometimes I wish you hadn't said what it was. Yeah, yeah. Because... Oh, I love that. Yeah. I yeah, love yeah. it. <laughs> it's so drinkable. Um... <laughs> I just love it. That is disgusting. <laughs> Do you not like it? It's really it's, chocolatey, it's... right? It's... Chocolatey, yeah, that's from the malt. Uh, so you've got that kind of chocolate peanut butter. It's Reese's Pieces. Like it. It's kind of Reese's yeah. Pieces yeah. beer. Yeah, that's why totally. I hate it. <laughs> I I've, I've never liked it. Do you, oh, do you love like it. stout? I love someone who's half anyway. American, I've just never ever got peanut butter. I was talking to someone more about the peanut butter um, 
Marmite I love, combination. I'm going to get some of that. I just in. don't get it. I just, oh, wow. I don't, I don't like Marmite. Because they, they, I love Marmite. I hate peanut butter. I mean, they're, they're the whole nut butters are yeah. just, it's a, America's crazy for it. I mean, it, I like, I, it's just peanut butter somehow for me. It's just really. No, I like peanut butter. So, um, so it's unlikely to convert people who don't like peanut butter then the peanut butter milk out. <laughs> oh, this, is, this, is, this is the fact we have discovered. Nick, have you got any thoughts on that? Um, it's interesting, isn't it? I think if I'd ordered one in a pub, I probably wouldn't have another one. Yeah. But I would definitely drink that pint. Mm, I agree. I'm not sure I could drink a lot of it. It's yeah, incredibly... it's quite well, thick. It's but quite I find viscous, that with stout right? anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I do like stout. But bike. you can drink a Guinness. I mean, I can happily drink a couple of pints of Guinness. Can no it? question. Why yeah. don't you like that then? I think it's, it's very similar. It's the peanut similar. butter thing. It's just like, oh. It doesn't taste that much of peanut butter. It's no. very milky. I can see if you if you got into it, you could become <laughs> it's obsessed. It's really milky. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's that, you know, the idea that every beer has to suit a session um, where you're going to go out and, you know, Go for it. I mean, for me on a Wednesday evening, sharing one of these is a mm. really nice thing coming. Why home. Wednesday? Well, Wednesday's that kind of hump day, isn't it? It's that an sort of, of it. you know, hump like day. yeah, kind of hump day. You sort of sort of in the middle, and you, you want something to cheer you up to kind of you know you have on, on on the home stretch. So it's kind of again the, the idea that that beer has to be um, listen, has I, to be some. I big applaud thing. it for being so unique. Yeah, and actually, That's I often difficult and in, that is in it's the really difficult in the craft world, beer yeah. world, which is often they. They all have sort of a slightly artisanal taste, I call it, and are quite interesting. But that's like, whoa, where? I mean, where I have never from? tasted anything like that. So it's called Peanut Butter Milk Stout, and it's by Belching Beaver. We've got a normal size can here. How much is that then, Andrew? Uh, Put you on the spot. Uh, four quid, four pounds on um, uh, roughly from the beer hall store. That's yep. pretty good. So um, I'm, I'm, I love that. Yeah, it's five, five and a half percent. So it's got a little bit of booze in it, um, and. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the sort of thing that again you you you'd want to have um, every now and then, really. Rather, so that's than... a Wednesday over the hump drink, over according hump. to Andrew Morgan, yeah. head of beer. Thank you very much. Do you want to go yeah. to the next one? Uh, next one. I'm not quite uh, sure anything, where we go from anything, that. Anything. But that. So number two. I've got to say, go... I enjoyed it more by the time I'd finished that. Yeah, this is a bit like kefir. Kind of it's quite me. it's quite a familiar taste to mm. me, I suppose. So it's kind of it's a good version of what's out there. Um, I, so I find it really drinkable. I love the smell of it. Smell of it. Smell, smell is it's so peanutty, isn't it? It's, mm. it's, so uh, we got another beer from Belching Beaver. They've done um, a collaboration with the Deftones, the uh, the Scar band. Uh, who <laughs> I listen to them all the time. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, one could think commercial sellout, but um, one has to also say that they, these beers have absolutely nailed it in terms of quality. They, they are selling incredibly well in the states, and um, the one that we've got is a beer called Digital Bath. Which, who are uh, these belching beaver guys? I'm going to. It's a good name. They're, um, <laughs> who are they? Uh, they're they're, they're, they're just in, mad um, Americans. Where are they from? I'm I'm 90% sure they're in Temecula, which is a uh, Temecula. Temecula, which is kind of between San Diego and uh, Los Angeles. And um, I'm I'm gonna yeah I'm, if I've got that wrong I do apologise I should have read the can and or remembered but I'm pretty sure that they're certainly from California and so the interesting thing with this is this is a, a cloudy. It's so you, you're, you're noticed cloudy. Uh, so this is part of the um, New England IPA style of beer, which rather than go clear, clear, uh, they they leave um, the sediment in the beer. So what's IPA? Um, Indian, Indian Pale Ale, Pale Ale. It stands for, yeah, technically. Um, and it's basically a stronger, hoppier um, uh, beer. And these cloudy ones tend to be quite melony and quite... Um, fruity rather than than sort of bone dry so you get a kind of slightly bigger texture with them i really appreciate that i don't like it i don't like hoppy beers at all i, I really struggle with them but i can appreciate how lovely that is it's quite complicated you like that, that with oysters mm. Mm. you get i mean there's orange and tangerine and all kinds of it's got interesting fruit it's very flavors tangerine-y. there oh, getting that yeah 
Do you like that? It's really, really lovely. I tend to struggle with IPAs. Um, and my boyfriend is a big fan of uh, double IPAs, which mm-hmm. I struggle with <laughs> Even more. quite a what's, lot. What's a double um, IPA? Just a big, and you can get a triple IPAs. Even more. So yeah, kind Hoppy. of just think, yeah, Super more, more, more. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, really, really gorgeous. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's a style that's become incredibly popular. So t- traditionally, and the next one we'll have is it's a completely clean, crisp West Coast style IPA from California. But this New England, it is, um, as, as, you know, as, as the name sort of implies, it's from... New England, and and, and it just and creates this cloudy. cloudy. Yeah, yeah, uh, um, and looks uh, is 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 quite um, yellow in color. Um, I think usually uh, kind of hop character is quite bitter and quite astringent, or it certainly can be with with bitter bitters in terms mm. of uh, the way that the UK uses it. This is all about fruit forward, hop uh, less hop forward, more fruit forward. Yeah, but that, that citrus but the, really gets rid of any of that yeah. bitterness from the hops, doesn't it? It's right up my street. Mm. But it, but it is the hops that are producing it bizarrely. So right. all of that all that fruit flavour is coming from the hops. You can do amazing things with, with the hops. Right. Is there what hops are in there? I'm guessing citra. Or yeah, it, it, I certainly would, would would say citra is likely. Um, there's, I mean, a, a lot of those those Americans. So citra is an, an American hop, and the Americans really took this idea of taking bitterness away from um, what hops should create. That was a very British British thing, and you know they've been producing some absolutely amazing um, hops that are that are more fruit forward than than hop forward. However, the one we we're having next is the exact opposite, and that is. Um, Probably my desert island beer that I'm going to share with you. Which is Your desert exciting. island beer. So yeah. This is Andrew Morgan, who's probably tasted about 2,000 beers in his life, if not more. Probably far, far, yeah, more. And then this is your favourite beer. Well, your, your, your sort of go-to it, beer. It's the beer we that, that whenever we, whenever it arrives, I get very excited, and I tend to bring a case home with me, and it doesn't last very long. Um, so which one is this? Alpine so, beer? No. Yeah, yeah. Is that the one? Yeah, this is the one. Um, so we've um, I, I bought I bought some doubles just in case anybody wanted any. We, we you know. Hmm. Um, so this is uh, so Alpine who are um, in the mountains near um, in San Diego. They um, they brew some of the hot forward beers that are just absolutely crisp, clean, dry, incredibly interesting, um, and kind of at seven percent, it's pretty pokey. Um, I say, blimey, seven percent. Right. Yeah, um, but, that's not. A, so what day of the week is that? You got your Wednesday, Wednesday, <laughs> your Wednesday <laughs> hump. Our, Wednesday, is, our Wednesday hump. You, yeah. It's like beer. holiday Saturday. Yeah, I, I, it's almost almost <laughs> yeah, a breakfast beer. I think, actually, no, the, the peanut butter milk stout was a good breakfast beer. This would probably would just be Friday evening. Friday evenings, yeah. When you just want <laughs> right, to, want to try the Friday evening beer. Just the one. Now, this to me is like a classic. Um, what a beer would look like. So it's, it's very golden coloured. Yep. It's got a really nice head on it. It's not cloudy at all, is it? No. No. Well, a little bit. It's, it's a, a little bit of haze, but um, it's pretty damn clear. Yeah, that's nice. That's lovely. So the, the thing with this is all about balance, right? So it almost tastes like there's not a lot going on. It's kind of quite simple. Actually, there's huge amounts of malt and huge amounts of hops that it's are all very long really balancing each other. And you just get the resin. So the the main character that comes from hops is the is the oil. So if you rub it on your fingers, you'll actually get the oil, and that's what you smell. So with with this beer, it's, pre, it's getting as much of that hop oil into the beer, so that you get all the aroma, but you also get that absolutely resinous, almost grangy gums flavour that, for me, is just I mean, it's really quite addictive. It's mm. kind of it's just it's just a flavour that I love. I it's love this program. Do not drink this beer. Uh, yeah, the the, the alcohol is not addictive in it's, moderation. It's the, obviously, it's the flavour. Uh, it's it's just such a and. Do you guys focus quite a lot on American? I mean, we've obviously tried three American beers here today. Is that your thing? I think, you know, f- uh, from a personal point of view, I think the Americans are producing some amazing beer. And, and the more every time I go over there, I still fall in love with um, the quality of what they're producing. And I think there's the reason is that they're, 
they're larger commercial breweries um, and the people have trained at larger commercial breweries. So it's almost like, you know, the whereas over here we've got a lot of um, home brewers who are starting up businesses, uh, whereas you've got these very big established breweries where you're learning about commercial brewing. That's to do with the quality of the product, but also being able to replicate it time and time again. So they're going starting breweries up. So you've got that, that kind of um, expertise level. Then also the hops themselves are incredibly terroir specific. So there's uh, one thing that you know few people know. They always know about wine. They know about grapes and how they can change in a field from the top to the bottom and the quality. The hops are exactly the same. So you'll get um, the brewers, the big brewers will go to Yakima, which is the big area of hop growing in the States. And they will, they will go out at hop picking season and choose the A-star hops, the absolute, the ones that are going to give the best return. Um, and a bit like picking tea or, or, or doing it. Yeah, yeah, like absolutely. And then, um, you know, it, it, in a nice way, the export hops are kind of a B to B minus grade. So even if you're trying your best to use those citra hops and brew them over here, the quality of what you have um, is, is, a start, is not yeah. the same. So you put those two things together and when you produce a beer like this, that again is um, with Beer Hawk Fresh, we're, we're all about refrigeration and freshness and refrigeration just basically slows down the decay of the beer in very simple terms. So when you've got a beer that you can produce that you know is going to be drunk quickly, i.e. You know, you've got time when you, uh, time's uh, a benefit to you and it's going to be cold all its life, you can start to brew in a, in a level of detail that you wouldn't do if it was ambient and was going to have a 12-month shelf life on it. So these beers are more fragile, um, but that's why our cold chain is there to protect them so that this is probably three months old and is absolutely as it was when it first got banned. So, so are you saying then, Andrew, that if you do get beer, uh, uh, um, obviously keeping it dark is good. So if you've got a can, that's not a problem anyway. But even if you don't intend to drink it for a couple of weeks, it should still be in the fridge because it will it, it will keep it better. It's fair to say that the fridge is not going to be a problem. Whereas if you did have it in a warm room, um, it's just expediting its, its death, really. I mean, beers will die. It's speeding um, it up, yeah. Yeah, there's a point where they would just be unrepresentative. There's, there's chemical changes happening. In, in the product um, due to the alcohol and the hops. And they kind of don't like each other. There, there's, a, there's a big fight going on in that can. Um, so if you can keep the, the yeast and uh, kind of down as well, then you, so you're, you're basically playing... playing. So when you game. go to a supermarket and all the cans are on the shelf, you know, in, in, in an ambient way, and there's probably been in the storeroom ambient, that's you're not going to get that beer at its best, are you? Is, is that what you're saying? Whereas well, you guys will keep it refrigerated time, and then when you send yeah. it out, it's it's going to be... Just a better quality so, just because of the distribution. So time is is a big part of that. So if you can turn over beer quickly, then it actually doesn't matter. You're fine. Yeah, okay, you, right. you, so you look at, you know, BrewDog have done great work um, in the supermarkets to ensure that almost all their beer is less than a month old. And with with that, uh, they, they've worked on the supply chains to make that happen. And it's a, it's a it means that, you know, I can walk in there, look at that, look at that can and feel confident that I'm going to get yeah. a product that's representative. There are other things there where, you know, it's almost like traffic lights. You kind of start seeing red, green and amber and there's a quite a few reds that, that are there that I wouldn't personally um, say would be necessarily beers that I choose but at the same time um, you know it's it's the nature of supermarket distribution at the moment that is all it's still all ambient so there isn't the choice but yeah. I think in the states it's the exact opposite you know it's, it's six degrees all the way so from um, really keeps it in prime condition yeah it does it just takes that risk out I think which at the moment you know if you're brewing a product that uh, is bottle conditioned then, um, which means there's yeast in the bottle, then actually you don't want to slow down that process. It's designed to to deal with ambient being being its thing. But for these American beers especially, um, and an increasing amount of British beers, you know, you want to drink the fresh and you want to make sure that they're just, you're spending good money on the product, you know. Yeah, um, absolutely. This is, I mean, you know, this one, Windows Up's probably 
£4.50. Um, but if we look at an equivalent beer by Northern Monk or Cloudwater, then you're looking at a shelf price of £6, £6.50. So wow, that's a bizarrely, huge difference. Yeah, the, I mean, the UK, um, our price tolerance over here is remarkable for, for what we're willing to pay at the moment. But it's, um, you know, it's like a cup of soup. You can either brew it with a stock cube and water um, or you could put, you know, your own homemade bouillon and all kinds of stuff in it. In the same way with beer, you can brew it very simply or you can spend a lot of money making, you mm. know, an expensive beer, which you kind of have to, will go on to the end price. So I think, yeah. you know, it's not a bad thing if, if for, for, for beer that's, uh, I think the price tolerance is good, but... Um, it's it's got to be good though. It's got to be good. It's got to be good. Well, I'm definitely going to um, <clears throat> go on your website and order some peanut butter milk stout, but I doubt that I'll use. No, no. <laughs> but, but interested in seeing the other stuff. I think it's it's a, a world that I think is quite hard to navigate at times and yeah. it does need a bit of curation. So if you've got intelligent software behind things that are helping you really discover helps, and learn, I think that's great. I mean, you've also got a beer club, haven't you, on the website? Yeah, indeed, the Beer Hawk Club is is there. Uh, Advent calendars are being prepared at the moment. That's, that's the big one in the office. Uh, there must be huge calendars. Uh, yeah, a beer yeah, a day. Kind yeah. of, well, a There's a lot of Wednesday humps in, yeah. in, in December. <laughs> Every day's a Wednesday. It's, it's, really, it's really handy that, a bo- that the box is coming 24s and there's 24 kind of uh, days ah, to Christmas. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they, they uh, yeah, there's, there's a good club, which, again, the, the curation is, you're right, is critical. You know, there's, mm. I think... Uh, statistics are back in 2007 there were three brews in London 13 in 2010 and now 120 wow. so you look at that in less than 15 wow, wow. years yeah. how do you navigate your way around it as you say it's challenging yeah. um, so you know we we do definitely curation is a big big part of um, working with people that we can feel confident that they're not going to wrong foot the customer really yeah well there's no link that I can make here at all I can think of but we're now going to talk to Nick Russell. It goes well company. with beer. I've got Does a link wasabi for you. go well with beer? Well, um, we had this Spanish brewery try and make a wasabi beer for us once. A wasabi beer? Yeah. Oh so God. there's your link. There you go. Perfect little segue. But you what didn't happens? bring any. What happened to the wasabi beer? It um, I didn't see it on any shelves, if I'm honest. Um, there was a hint of the flavour, but as we'll find out in a minute, the wasabi flavour is really volatile. And sure. so locking it in as a flavour to a beer... Must have Quite been incredibly hard. difficult. They did really well to do what they did, but um, it tasted a lot more like beer than wasabi. Yeah. Nice. yeah. So I'm going to give you some uh, wasabi facts. Uh, the wasabi plant is Wasabia japonica. Yeah, wasabi Got japonica. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, it dates back to the 10th century in Japan. Yeah. Um, it's very difficult to cultivate. So it grows in cool, shady mountain stream beds, mainly in Japan. But growers have popped up in Taiwan, China, the United States and other Company uh, mm. countries, um, the plant thrives between forty six and seventy degrees, but it can't really tolerate direct sunlight. That's Fahrenheit, by the way. Yeah, Fahrenheit. Yeah. Um, and it, it's it's hard to grow, um, and it's becoming scarce because demand's increasing. Have I got all that right? Uh, yeah, there's some definitely oh. some truth in there. Yeah, Wikipedia yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and wasabi is a member of the brassicaceae family. Yes, it is a brassica. Yeah, have you said that? Um, which obviously that includes cabbage, horseradish, and mustard, and watercress. Um, and watercress, of course. And wasabi is sometimes called Japanese horseradish, uh, but that's not correct because horseradish is a separate plant. Now, my understanding, because I've had a look on, di- on different websites, websites, is wasabi as a plant looks really weird. It's a weird thing. Yeah, and, and you know, it's a lot a of people odd. don't even realise it's a plant. Right? Really? What do they think the, it is? Their, an their animal? interaction with wasabi is yeah, maybe a mineral, <laughs> but. Um, the, the, a sauce. Yeah, their interaction is is it's a, as a, a condiment, right? Yeah. It's a little ketchup. blob that comes to you on a plate and, and you don't think 
sometimes Where's further beyond from? that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so it, it grows submerged, and 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 while the portion of the plant that grows underwater looks like a root, it's not actually a root; it's a stem. Yeah. Now, you guys used to be watercress farmers, so it, I can imagine that what you've learned in terms of growing watercress has actually been quite useful in terms of wasabi, although... Yeah, totally. I mean, when when the whole idea came to us, um, we already had a lot of experience in growing and flowing water. Mm. And and that's how you get the best results with growing wasabi. Pretty much all of of the um, sour-style farms in Japan has kind of got its own name for this style of growing and flowing water. So they'll they'll all be in flowing water over there with, with, you know, a few exceptions. Um, And... The idea came to us that the chef actually visited the watercress farms and and kind of said in passing that, you know, oh, this is how wasabi grows. And we're like, oh, yeah. Didn't say anything else. And uh, and a few it's months later thought, oh, let's, let's play around with that as an idea. And and that experience in, in growing in, in that medium went a long way. Yeah. And we happened to have these Victorian watercress beds, which weren't suitable for modern production anymore. Um, and excavated them and, and turned them around. So there was a lot of things that kind of came together that was all very, really, very much in our laps, you know, mm. um, that allowed us to do this, I think. So you know that stuff you get in the, in the sort of bright green stuff you get in those tubes? Mm. That's not really wasabi, is it? Uh, it's about 2% wasabi. 2% wasabi? Yeah, I think I think if you get really good one... Why are they allowed to one, call it wasabi if it's not 98% something else? Yeah, I think there's, a, there's a trading standards conversation there. What's um, in it? Well, I saw one. Um, I saw one product where the lead ingredient, um, and so the most prevalent, right? So the lead ingredient on the, on the back there was E four hundred two, and that's the color green. And so the the, the most prevalent thing in that tube of wasabi was green, you know, oh. and that's pretty mad. Uh, and then it will be horseradish and mustards, um, and oh, there'll be a, a little bit of wasabi in there. And the thing is, they'll say four percent wasabi. Say if we got a good one. But that will also be the root structure, which is really bitter, and it will be the leaf, and it will be the stem. But the rhizome is actually what you want, right? This, that's the name we we call this sort of elongated stem that we grate. Um, and so it might not actually be any wasabi rhizome in there at all. So it's hard to describe what it looks like for somebody who hasn't seen it. it yeah, you can see it coming from the, the um, brassica family, really. Um, so if anybody's got an allotment and grows cabbage, I know that sounds silly, it's, 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 it's slightly like that you actually sell wasabi plants on your website i've got one here actually i thought i'd bring one along he's looking very cute oh look at him look so i've got a wasabi (laughs) a little wasabi plant in in a little pot with some soil wow he's tiny yeah so so um we've got a root here and um it does remind me a little bit about uh, of horseradish but it's all it's all sort of knobbly and green on the outside like the top of a pineapple a yeah. little bit, yeah. Um, but, but it does remind me of when you grow cabbages. Um, um, it, it feels like that. So it grows. Um, it grows like a tiny palm tree. Right. So, mm. so as as the the stems or petioles fall away from the trunk, it, it it sort of creates this elongated stem. So it's like a tiny palm tree, basically, in a way. That makes sense. Yeah. Kind of a weird way to explain something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is. I, we're so used to seeing it, right? So I, I see this on a daily basis. So I, I kind of forget the fact that it's an odd looking thing. It's um, very odd. Yeah, and and then um, so how do you cultivate it? Presumably, you take this sort of outside skin, for want of a better word, off bark. I don't know what you would call it. Skin, I think we call it. Skin, yeah, yeah. Yep. So you take that off, and then inside this this stem, is that what you use? Is that what so you what, use for wasabi? To create wasabi, what we do is we we grate this, uh, and we use specially designed graters. Traditionally, it was grated on shark skin. 
And so they'd sh- stretch um, shark skin over some wood. And, Hiroshi. And, yeah, it was actually angel shark traditionally, wow. which is on the UNESCO endangered list. And I know now they, they only really use bycatch and they farm a lot of ray because the skin's very similar. Um, we use aluminium. We like sharks and we'd like them to stay in the sea. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's what we've decided to do as a company, basically. So you, 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 you like you would horseradish, really, you take that skin off and then you grate it. Mm, is that the, right? The trick really is in the grater. Um, and the reason we use these special ones and not just like a cheese grater is because we want to break it down at a cellular level. Yeah. Um, and without doing that, you're not going to get the best out of the product. You're so not it's really, get really profile. fine. Yeah. I mean, um, I can grate some up for you if you like. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if you like. I mean, again, I would say that was almost like ginger. You can peel and then chop ginger, but actually the best way of getting something out of ginger is literally to, to grate it almost so it becomes sort of slightly liquidy, I guess. Mm. Is yeah. That, is that what you're, and, you're and doing And these here? graters are actually really good for ginger and uh, garlic because it mm. will turn it straight into a paste. Yeah. Um, so what I'll do, should I just kind of talk you yeah, through it? Yeah, please do. Um, so, so we need to describe it because it's radio. So just just cut the top off that poor thing. So, yeah, so the, the palm, it. The palm tree bit with the leaf things coming out have just been chopped off. Um, you've got a really weird grater, which is yeah, looks so more like a bit like a shovel. Actually. Yeah, it does. And it's got these tiny little um, sort of uh, quite sharp little kind of hooks on it. Um, the big difference is it doesn't come through the back. So oh, it will yeah. all collect on the face of the grater. It's not like your normal cheese grater when you rub it, it will yeah, fall so, through the so back. Yeah, so we've got holes at the top, but none, none underneath. So yeah. that will actually collect in there. Yeah, and it, and... What we what we want from this grater, and I kind of touched on it before, is we want it to break it down at a cellular level. Okay, so the only way we can create the taste of wasabi is by combining the cells that naturally exist here. We break the cell wall, and those enzymes interact. Um, now, if there's any sort of uh, scientists out there listening, is is myrosinase and glucosinolates, and those those two come together and and actually kickstart what is a really volatile chemical reaction. Yeah. Now you're definitely going to get the sound of this on the mics. So yeah. I'll try and be quick. And uh, just while you're doing that, and it's coming through, and it's it's looking, wow, it looks like liquid actually. Um, uh, if you grate it, it will go off after a certain amount. Well, you'll, yeah, you'll lose its zing. I would say is a better way of, of describing it. So, so if you want really fresh, it's you've got to use it fairly quickly. I'm guessing. Yeah. So, um, like the one of those enzymes is the fuel in this chemical reaction. Okay, um, and it's uh, the myrosinase. And so, like any chemical reaction, its fuel's going to burn out. And and so, what we want to do is taste it before that fuel's completely gone. Yeah. So, um, um, Nick's just passed me the grater. It actually looks like very thick clotted cream. Right. It's hardly yep. it's hardly got any. Well, it's weird because if you were grating cheese or something, it wouldn't go down to this sort of level, would it? It's literally, it, this is going to blow our head off, isn't it? Can, well, right, Ollie, you maybe, taste it first because um, you're good at that sort of stuff. But right now, amazing. it's not going to taste as hot as it will in oh, it 30 smells, seconds. It smells dangerous. Uh, yeah, it's, a lot of people are scared of it, right? Because they're used to eating a lot of horseradish. But actually, what you should get from this is something a lot more subtle. <laughs> Ollie. <laughs> Ollie, it's got like, steam coming out of wow. his ears. That's, <laughs> yeah. I, I spent quite a bit of time in Japan, and um, I mean that actually is making my right eye water. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, but, I'm, but I'm a bit sad if I don't say, make someone cry at least once a day. Yeah, so no, 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 no. I mean, yeah. I think no, you shouldn't do it. So. May I? I've just taken a tiny, tiny bit. That's so good. I think it's. So it's got good. a oh, really yeah. great earthy, earthy taste. It's so addictive, though, isn't it? 
That's yeah. amazing. So what do you think, and Andrew? It's, and it's not, it's not very green either. I mean, it's kind of green. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not luminescent, right? It's not, it's not right? wasabi green, no. Yeah, like, and, and that's one thing. I think that should be like a, a red flag it. for people is that if they have this stuff delivered to them in a restaurant and it's, and, and it's luminescent, you know, there's nothing that colour no. in nature. But in the good restaurants, that's what it looks like. Yeah, exactly. So, so this is um, a very pale green. Um, I don't know how to describe it, really. It's just, it's just creamy looking. It's creamy in colour mm. and it's creamy looking. Interestingly, try it again now. And okay. you should see that the taste has changed quite dramatically. And we, we should get a little bit more heat and more sweetness. Have some more. Yeah. I'm okay with it so far. You see, I like uh, things like horseradish and wasabi because you get a nose hit and you get a mouth hit, but it goes away fairly. Mm. The nose like quickly. Quickly. It's hilarious. Yeah. Whereas when you get chilli, it just stays with you. You can't get rid of it. For, for quite a while. Whereas this, I, I love horseradish it, mustard. It, it may sound odd, but it actually tastes very fresh. Wasabi. I mean, obviously, yeah. you've just done it in yeah. front of us. But that's, I mean, I love Japanese food. I have a lot of wasabi. And that is unrepresentative of what I usually have. And yeah. it's, it's fantastic. It you can imagine gorgeous. that. Thank you. you know, just what I want some it's, salmon right it's now. It's really like, earthy, isn't it? Slather it on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the thing is that in 20 minutes, that chemical reaction would have burnt up. And that'll taste of nothing. It'll just be this in kind of minutes, grassy well. sort of taste, you know, and, and this creamy consistency. That is gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And so that's why we can prove that these yeah, yeah. wasabi peas, they're horseradish peas, right? Yeah. And anything that comes out of a tube, you can't you can't put this in a tube, put it on a shelf in a supermarket, and it tastes of anything by the time someone's bought it. You can't. So so you've got some other products that you do using wasabi. Now, yeah. I, know, I know you do some, some other um, things as well, which we'll talk about in a minute. But your wasabi-based products. Now, my favourite of yours, um, which I've had a few times I, I, and I order, and I've just remembered I need to order some more, is the wasabi mustard is my uh, yeah. absolute favourite that you do. It's a great combination of smashing. Oh. So... This, um, we just entered um, a few of our products into the Great Taste Awards, um, and we were so lucky to get as many stars as we did. This one got three stars. Wow. Um, Can I just say, Nick, that isn't luck. You don't, yeah. you don't win <laughs> awards yeah. by luck. Of course you yeah. don't. Yeah, true. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's gorgeous. Do you like that? That is fabulous on um, beef. But that's, it's like English mustard, but it's just gorgeous. better. Well, as an idea, you'd think that maybe the mustard and the wasabi would clash. No. Right? But that's all. because you're thinking of horseradish wasabi, you know? Yeah. Um, but they actually go really well together, and it kind of has sweetness to it. Thank you. What do you yeah. imagine eating that with? Um, I think it's really good with gamey meat. Mm. So, like venison or pheasant, it goes really well with. Um, Some really good yeah. smoked ham or yeah. gammon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Rabbit. Yeah, yeah. Rabbit would be lovely with that. Mm. Mm. Oh. Mm. No, yeah, I Actually, cheese toasty will be. I might do yeah, that exactly. tonight. That'd be amazing. There's this one, which is um, the wasabi mayo, right? Now you like that. You've had that before, yeah. haven't you? Holly? I like it all, That's... but I particularly like this one. No, yeah, I've genuinely forgotten what things taste like without that. Really? I just have it nearly every meal. Yeah, and <laughs> it goes with everything. Coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Yeah, just on the saucer, right on the side. Yeah. Um, it's again, that's gorgeous. I'm not. I'm not a massive fan of mayonnaise because mm. I, I just find it boring. That's great, though. Lovely mm. <laughs> Where them? are we getting these from? Um, online. I, I order them online. Yeah, there's a few people, um, sort of, for the London-based listeners, and there's there's a number of people around London that are retailing it now, and and certainly sort of farm shops and delis further afield. Um, so Whole Foods, for example, mm-hmm. um, and Food for Thought is a chain around London that. Are that is just well. right. That so there's enough wasabi, mm. but it's still it's still mayo. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Really lovely. You have no idea how much mayonnaise we had to eat to get that taste profile right. Yeah. Literally just sat there with rows of tasters. And just... 
going keep through going, the... Keep going, keep yeah. going. So if, if, the, um, if, if the wasabi's so um, fragile when you're mm. doing it, how do you manage to capture it in those 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 data? Is, is there a way of... That is a question it? from someone who's definitely been listening, so thanks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's a really, really good question, you know, because if this taste dissipates in the tube and, and we know that's not wasabi, then how does this work? And it's all about the fat content. So the fat content of the mustard and the mayos is high enough to stop it from oxidising. And it just mm. locks that flavour in. And it's a real balancing act because, you know, when, when we put these into production, you know, when, when we're in the factory making these mayonnaises, we're grating the wasabi and we're tasting it. And it's like, right, put it in now. Go, go, go. And make it all as quick as we can before that flavour dissipates yeah, too yeah. much. So it's, it's a balancing act. But mm. we like to think we're getting it kind of right. So we're coming close to the end of the programme. What else have you got in your little magic box? Um, I've got all sorts of stuff. Actually, this one is also very much worth a try. You mind just pulling the uh, top off that for me and I'll grab some little cups. So what is that? What's so that this thing? is something quite different. We kind of got carried away with our own label range uh, and went down the, the Japanese route as we have done with you know, all the products that we serve into the food service industry. But this is a, um, it's a ponzu. Um, so traditionally that will be a dipping sauce. Um, but you can use this as a marinade or um, it's incredibly good in a stir fry. Um, is this the one you get with um, uh, what's it called the the fried um, fried Japanese food? Yeah, so you might well see this in a Japanese restaurant as um, like I said with dumplings or with sushi instead of soy. But imagine this in a stir fry as you're as you're trying it. No, see, that's great. That's, that's really so good. I mean, really good. We often do dumplings at home and dip that in there. Oh. It's so much more sophisticated than soy sauce. Yeah, it's so much really complex and it's vegan as well. So it's got that real sort of mm. body, that, that umami flavour for a vegan product. We're pretty stoked with that. I just drink that. I could just drink it. <laughs> I could, though. It's got a good name as well. It's the Sadachi Kombu Ponzu. Sadachi. Try saying that after a few of Yeah, say that again. <laughs> Sadachi <laughs> Kombu Ponzu. I can yeah. read it from here. So what's Sudachi? Because you, do you so, grow Sudachi? Um, we bring Sudachi in from a farmer we work right. with in Morocco. Um, and it's a it's a citrus. So people might be a little bit more um, used to hearing of yuzu, mm. which is actually quite a popular Japanese citrus now. But sudachi is like its cooler cousin. It's a little bit more tart, um, and the fruit's a little smaller. That is delicious. Is there a miso in there as well? N no, there. Well, because normally a ponzu is is fish stock, mm. but this has got kelp in it instead, and so you might be getting a little bit of that from the kelp. There is some mushroom and a little uh, bit of mirin in there as yeah. well. Yeah, really savoury. Lightly fried steak, just. That would just be yeah. fantastic. Mm. What else you got in your little magic box? Come on, yeah, don't don't, so don't end the program. Keep We're all going to fight over these take them, aren't we? Well, 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 we've mentioned yuzu, so try this one now. This this mayonnaise is a yuzu mayo, so along with the other products we've done there. Um, we did this using mayo, and I was genuinely eating a jar of this every three days. And I realised that if I do that, I'm going to eat myself into an early grave. So yeah, I had yeah. to just stop. Um, you've also got while we're all tasting that, you're also growing. Oh, sorry, selling um, finger limes yeah. and Buddha's hands. What are they? I don't even know what they are. So these again are more citrus, and we're right sort of um, in the midst of the citrus season now. And 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 a lot of this sort of quite rare citrus will be available right through until um, hopefully sort of January. Um, and it's kind of this, this time of year where we get this big glut of fruit. Now, these finger lime things, if you've not seen them before, they're, they're brilliant. So it's, uh, it's about two inches long and it looks like a bit of a squashed green rugby ball, I'd say. It looks like a banana, but with a lime skin, but a tiny banana. So in the middle there, if you just give it a little squeeze and you get these tiny little balls coming out. So it looks a lot oh, yeah. like caviar, right? That's hence it, it being like called caviar. citrus caviar. Give that a go. 
That's really... Oh, it's crunchy. Yeah, it gives this little pop, this, this burst of flavour. Oh, I've never even heard of that. I thought there was... I thought the guys from... Z, um, World of Zing, didn't they use it in one of their products? Yeah, put, right. put it on. I've never seen one, though, live. No. Do you grow those or do you ship them in? Do you we, we bring them in bring uh, them as in, well, yeah. 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 Mm. It's, it's like a pomelo. Right. Like a mini pomelo. Yeah. Um, they're really crazy little citrus, yeah, those. Really you know, what, you do, don't, what do you, you use them for? Um, they're excellent as a garnish. Um, oh, right, so people just order them to... Yeah. And they're, they're Holly's definitely... eating hers like it's an ice cream. I, just, yeah. I love sour <laughs> things. That is mm. so good. Person. It's good, no, it's great. I'd never use a lime again now. Yeah, I'd use well, one of those instead. Yeah, totally. And they're just called finger limes. Finger limes or citrus caviar, yeah. Citrus caviar. Yeah, I like this. So it's, it's, it's weird because you, you, you cut it as if it is a lime, but actually it's got these tiny little balls inside which literally do look like caviar except that they're that they're lime coloured mm. um, and they're crunchy they're oh. crunchy they're little tiny crunchy things mm. I think they could definitely make their way into some cocktails mm. yeah mm. which also um, there's, a, there's another product we're bringing out as part of this range on the, on the sort of cocktail <laughs> whim is that um, we're working with Winchester Distillery to bring a extra strength wasabi vodka to the mm-hmm. table, um, which has been unbelievably well received. I, I was hoping to bring. Were well, you drinking a bottle of that a day as well? Along no. With <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm concerned Only about going into yeah, your yeah, body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it looks good on it, doesn't it? Though. Hey. Yeah. Okay, and then finally, um, we've got um, Buddha's hands. Yeah, what, 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 what I, I don't today? have one of them with me. Um, you go but, on your website; you can see though pictures of it. Yeah, yeah they're a really bizarre-looking citrus, and um, originally uh, Australian. Um, but have been taken on in a lot of Asian cuisine. Uh, and it's juiceless. It's, it's this... Um, God, do you know what? I'm not sure I can even describe it. It's like this... Um, like They do pronged... sort of like look like hands. Yeah, they, they do, but with like 20 but sort of fingers. Fat. Yeah, yeah. Fat, sort of, yeah. Fat sort of Buddha fingers, yeah. in a way. Yeah, no, it's definitely worth Googling it. Take a look. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Really good fermented as well. The flavour really changes a lot if they're, if they're fermented well, yeah. So we can see that you're doing sort of mustard and wasabi. What else have you got in your little... Is there anything exciting there? I mean, what do you do? Just like Google stuff and go, oh, I like that. We'll start selling it. Well, How we, do you do your product development? Because you're, you're slightly out, mad, aren't you? Yeah. Really? We, we started out with um, with our wasabi, right? We were, we were going to chefs and, and, you know, seeing what their thoughts on that were. Um and, you know, selling it into quite a few, you know, top restaurants. And they'd sort of say, you know, can you, do you think you can get a 20-year-old Mirin? Do you think that you could source this Ponzu for us? And so we went on this journey of, of learning and and started to really appreciate the flavours that come out of Japan. I mean, the people that make this, this is um, Sambaizu. So this is a, a Benito-flavoured rice wine vinegar. Benito-flavoured rice wine vinegar. But what, you mix in with like a sushi rice? Yeah, you can use it as you would any rice wine vinegar, really. Um, but you get this sweetness and you get um, you get a lot of smokiness as well. You love all this, don't you, Ollie? It's, I all, love it's all this your you know, sort of food. But you know, it's really funny. I, we, we, I'm sure to us another time, but we did some judging the other day and Renee, who was founder of Plant Organic, was talking about the way she loves... Renee Elliott. She loves to eat. And she talked about how she would just lay down sheets of... Um, seaweed and then the rice and then all the stuff to fill it in. Yeah, and it's just the nicest way to eat. Can I have I, some more of that? Yeah, sure, of course. That's you can. amazing. Hey, we, we, I haven't got the. That one. is my taste profile. That is. No. You're not getting any, Ollie. No. Oh. oh, sorry. So this, so this is. Um, oh, no, it's, the smokiness is great. Yeah. There's a little edge of sweetness, but it's not sweet. Yeah, totally. If that makes sense. But the, the people that would be making this, you know, it couldn't be a more refined process. It's the Marucho family, and um, the same family have been doing this in the same way for coming on 300 years. 
the, the water they use Sorry. plunges out of this UNESCO World Heritage Site and lands next to the factory, and they grow their own rice to make the rice wine vinegar and then and then flavour it. I mean, it's just an insane level of commitment. That's what the Japanese are so good at, right? I could drink that instead of a glass of wine. I'm not joking either. Yeah, that. I mean, this is why I just feel my ability to cook Japanese food and cook these ingredients is just so limited because this is such an exciting ingredient, but it I'm is. kind of, my brain is just going, what can I cook with? How do I use it? What do I play with? You know, and sure. actually, that is so lovely. I, th- I think the ponzu is it's a lot easier to understand what you do with that, whereas as uh, the sambaizu, maybe uh, um, it's a little bit trickier to sort of understand how to work it into a dish. Just drink it. But, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, look, we're all we're all trying to, eat less of a meat-based diet. And I think what's really exciting about both those dishes is you can see how they add this depth of flavour. Mm. meat in, into, in a way. Into, you can imagine, you know, with, mm. with broccolis or cauliflowers mm. or any, anything, you, yep. you just, it would just inject that depth in, which would be mm. amazing. You know, I'm, 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 I'm far from being a chef. I'm not even a particularly good cook. But with one of them, you know, suddenly it turns me into this sort of like superhero chef. I just hide it in the back of the cupboard and people think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a story of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Just there, there is the tip Nick. of the day. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I, I think we'll all agree the wasabi company, it's first fabulous. of all, the quality of the of the products is is really top-notch. Thanks. But I really appreciate the fact that you're, you're, you're sourcing all this stuff and really trying to push the boundaries. Yeah. It's amazing. And, and, you know, we're we're conscious that what we're doing by growing wasabi here in the UK, you know, that's really good environmentally. Uh, And we're also conscious of the fact that we're bringing these in from Japan. So there's a a thing there. But we always try and do it as sustainably as we can. And like the the yuzu and the sudachi and the finger limes, bringing them from the local sources like Spain or Morocco, you know, I think think every business has got sort of a, you've got responsibility with that. Um, And yeah, I think think we can definitely get the quality and, and we can get it here. Well, I love it all. It's great. Um, uh, We will put loads of links uh, to the Wasabi Company, so if any of you want to source that stuff, you can. Um, I'm just going to put a big order in, I think. Yeah, Yeah. we're about to have a fight over who gets to keep the the bits. (laughs) No, I'm in charge. I know you are. (laughs) Uh, It's it's just really good stuff, isn't it? So you've got a phone call outside, actually, you need to go. No, 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 (laughs) it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So um, Nick Russell from the Wasabi Company, thank you very much. And a call out to all the people who work at the Wasabi Company. Um, Yeah. All all the farming, all that lovely wasabi and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so well they're busy done, back in, in Dorset and well Hampshire done, working away chaps. while you're I'm here you, drinking beer. So yeah, you're all doing happy. a really fantastic job. Um, congratulations. And thank you to Andrew Morgan of Beer Hawk Fresh. Again, spending all that time dedicated working to going to America much. and drinking beer just Trying. to bring us the, <laughs> yeah, best. the best. It's very good of you, Andrew. My pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> um, any final comments from my fellow presenters, Holly? Any particular favourites of yours? This is well, I'm still sweet. eating the finger lime. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, just the sauces are amazing in particular. Um, you know, I love the mayo. They're all genuinely brilliant. Yeah. Ollie, that fresh, I, fresh was going to I just like the fact that what these products encourage us to do is to play. Mm. And I think what we're seeing more and more in the food industry is people are taking something from one category and messing with it. And, you know, you look at some of the weird innovations going on in the world of ice cream, for example, and the world of snacking. And actually... Some you, of those are terrible, though. They are. no, but, but some of them are incredible. But, but you've got, you know, we've all cooked bad dishes. And, mm. and the whole point is what these things encourage you to do is experiment. And I think the tolerance for mistakes is actually quite broad on these because they're such big, interesting flavours. I think yeah. you could play around a lot. Mm. Mm. I'm excited. 
I'm excited. So we'll fight over <coughs> who's taking stuff home. Although, of course, um, Nick might want to take them back with him. You hadn't even considered that, <laughs> have you? He, he's not getting out. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been listening to the Food Talk Show. And as you know, we're syndicated to radio stations across the UK and further afield, as well as being available on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes and the podcast app on your phone. Thank you to my fellow presenters, Ollie Lloyd and Holly Shackleton. And if you want to recommend any future guests, someone doing something groundbreaking, you're going to really struggle to beat the Wasabi boys uh, in the food sector, please get in touch with us via Twitter on at Food Talk Show. And if you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts now, going back years, uh, please go to foodtalk.co.uk or via speciality food magazine website we're right on the front page aren't we holly sure are. get on that and uh, you can click and listen to all of our different podcasts so thank you so much we're going to fight over the um over the various wasabi stuff and i do hope you have a good week bye-bye <laughs>